All right, it was our privilege to open God's Word today. We've started in this last section of Paul's letter to Romans in chapters 12 through 16. Paul has sequentially built a strong theological basis for living our lives as a willing, living sacrifice for Christ. Remember this chart we started with uh, at the beginning of the sermon series. First, in chapters 1 through 3, Paul showed our sin, our need of salvation, of God's holiness in condemning sin, of righteousness needed. Then in chapters 3 through 5, he showed us God's justification, God's way of salvation, of God's grace in justifying sinners, of righteousness credited. Then in chapters 6 through 8, he showed the road to sanctification, how to live out our salvation of God's power in sanctifying us, of righteousness demonstrated, of righteousness expressed. Then in chapters 9 through 10, Paul showed us God's mercy in his sovereignty, the scope of salvation, of God's sovereignty and saving of all of his people, of righteousness restored. Now Paul is showing us the just and only response to all such amazing truth, service, with God's glory as our goal, with righteousness applied. The clear point is that saved people serve people. That salvation is not just the end goal of our eternal home, but also of our service to Christ now. That good theology leads to godly service. And godly, good theology leads us to offer our whole lives as a living, holy sacrifice, pleasing to God. Let's turn in our Bibles here to Romans chapter 12. As we look at our scripture for today, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. The scripture says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given me to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father, now we have come before you and we have read your word. Spirit, you have given us this word, uh, preserved and provided, inerrant and true. And Lord, we pray now that these words, the truth of your word, would challenge us and change us today to the glory of Jesus Christ. 
In his name we pray. Amen. Well, as we come now to the great hinge of part of this letter of, uh, to the Romans, as the first 11 chapters now have concluded, we come to the mo- one of the most important therefores in the Bible. One wrote, we come now to what is usually called the practical section of Romans. The practical, however, must of necessity rest upon a solid theological foundation. Otherwise, it is little more than advice about how to get along in a religious community. If God had not done what he did for us, there would be no compelling reason why we should now do what he says. The dynamic of God's moral instruction arises from its logical and necessary relationship to who he is and to what he has done on our behalf. As this last section of Romans open, Paul is saying, on the basis of these 11 chapters of amazing doctrine and truth, now live it out. As you hold chapters 1 through 11 in your mind, let it come alive within you, in your life, to live it out. After 11 chapters of indicatives, now come the imperative. After 11 chapters of facts and truth and doctrine and teaching, now comes teaching and commands. After 11 chapters of telling us what Jesus has done, now we can talk about what we must do. For it is only after his doing that then enables our doing. All the commands to do are rooted in Christ and what he has done. All that we do and all that we must do is just our rightful response to all that Jesus has done. It is our reasonable service. Tis all that we can do. Offering our bodies as a living, holy, and pleasing sacrifice to God is the spiritually logical thing to do. Not being conformed to the world's thinking around us, but rather being transformed by the renewing of our mind into God's way of thinking, which then produces within us the desire and the discernment to do God's will, his good and perfect and pleasing will. Living our daily lives as a living sacrifice to God is our duty, our reasonable service, our logical worship. It's not what super-Christians do. It's what every Christian must do. It's not a call to a deeper commitment to Christ. No, daily dying to ourself, daily seeking God's kingdom first, daily offering your life, all of it, as a living sacrifice to Christ, is the very duty and the very obligation of every Christian. That is how you're supposed to live your daily life right now for you and for me. One wrote, we cannot be truly sacrificed to him and be inactive in his work. On the other hand, we cannot truly be successful in his work without being genuinely devoted to him. Service to God brings honor to him and blessing for us only when it's the outflow of our worship and offering ourselves as living sacrifices. I love this quote. Remember last week from R.C. Sproul, after talking about how the Old Testament sacrificial system had ended, he said, 
but there is still a New Testament sacrificial system. It's not a sacrifice that we give in order to make an atonement, but a sacrifice we give because an atonement has been made for us. You see, now for us, what joy we have because Christ has made an atonement for us. We don't bring a sacrifice. We don't make a sacrifice. We are the sacrifice. We respond in the only way possible. We give our lives as a living sacrifice to the one who died as our atoning sacrifice. How powerful is it that the first two do from Paul in light of all these amazing 11 chapters of truth. The first to do is to die. To die to ourselves and to live for the glory of God alone. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. See, Jesus lived to die. We die to live. And where does this battle begin? Where's the front line in daily dying to ourselves and living each day for the glory of Jesus Christ? It's in our thinking. The front line is in our minds as verse 2 teaches us to not conform our thinking to the thinking of the world around us, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by thinking God's thoughts through his word, through his spirit. Love how J.B. Phillips paraphrased Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him, acceptable to him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. So that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good. We must let God remold our minds from within through his word, through his spirit, through his thinking. Now in verses 3 through 8, we're going to see the truth of verses 1 through 2 applied. We're going to see three steps into using our spiritual gifts. In verse 3, we're challenged to reflect. In verses 4 through 5, we are challenged to remember. And in verses 6 through 8, we're challenged to respond. So now in verse 3, Paul gives us the first area of our thinking that needs to be remolded by God. What, how does God want to remold our thinking? In this first area of humility. Four times in verse 3, Paul uses the word think. Paul is purposely overemphasizing that the battle for humility is won or lost in our minds, in our thinking. Did you catch how Paul started off verse 3 in humility? You see, he doesn't say, for by the apostleship given to me, although he could have. He doesn't say, for by the authority given to me though he could have. No, he says, for by the grace given to me. Do you see it? 
Yes, Paul is an apostle. And yes, Paul has spiritual authority. But all that is given to him by grace. It's not Paul. It's Christ. It's not Paul. It's God's plan. It's not Paul. It's God's grace. Billy Graham said, The smallest package I ever saw was a man wrapped up wholly in himself. You see the great apostle Paul, the proper view of himself? It's not me. It's grace. There's no merit in Christ. There's no status gained in Christ. There's no place for ego in Christ. It's all by grace. Paul often talked about this, about God appointing him as an apostle by his grace. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 and 10, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. And in Ephesians 3, 7 through 8, Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. There are several more passages like this. So what's the point? Before Paul even starts directing our challenge and challenging our thinking with humility, he's teaching us through his own proper understanding of himself that it's all by grace, salvation by grace, calling by grace, service by grace, sacrifice by grace, leadership by grace, all by grace. Folks, the basis of our humility is a recognition that it is all by grace. All. As the hymn writer said, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Paul counted every gain, every advantage, every confidence in the flesh as refuse. He says that in Philippians chapter 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, true biblical humility starts with the recognition that it's all by grace. Are you there? Can you see it? Does your heart cry out like Paul's heart? It's all by God's grace. You see, from the vantage point of God's grace, there is no room to think of yourselves more highly than you ought. True biblical humility is not only based on grace, it is also based on the character of Christ 
himself. True biblical humility is one of the greatest characteristics of every follower of Christ because it's one of the greatest characteristics of our Savior. And there's a great passage in Philippians chapter 2 that details this truth for us. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Folks, oh, the amazing humility of our Christ, of our Savior, of our God, the great creator the sustainer of all things, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, willfully humbled, purposefully humbled, even to the point of death, death on a cross as our atoning sacrifice. Oh, the humility of our Christ. That saved us. Can you see it? See, what does Paul say here in in Philippians? Have the same mind as Christ. Think like Christ. Don't conform your thinking to this world. But be transformed by renewing your mind to think like Christ. Our humility should be like our Savior's humility. Now, humility might not be a very culturally cherished American quality, but it is with Christ. Humility is an essential characteristic describing every true follower of Christ because we know it's all by God's grace, because we know our Savior's humility has saved us. Paul says to everyone among you, Not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment. I found this story. It's kind of like a sign of the times. Maybe even a sign of our culture. People are taking so many selfies these days, they're getting what's called selfie wrist. Tina Choi, 29, works in digital media promotion. She says a successful selfie can raise the profile and income for her clients. Choi believes selfies are an effective way of sharing a sense of yourself. It's really about telling a story, where you're at and what you're doing and how active you are, Choi said. But all that selfie taking started causing tingling in her fingers and and her wrist and later discomfort. After a few months, she said she felt a sharp pain in the corner of her wrist, and it was actually preventing her from working. It's a form of carpal tunnel because this hyperflexation of the wrist appears to cause the nerve to become inflamed and angry, said Dr. Levi Harrison, an orthopedic surgeon. 
He said the problem begins when the patient constantly hyperflexes their wrist inward in a rush to capture that perfect angle. Harrison showed her exercises to do for just a few minutes a day, and after a few weeks, Tina's pain improved. She takes much safer selfies now. That's the nature of our generation right now, she said. We're, we're taking so many selfies these days. Could it be that we are thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought? Could it be that instead we should think of ourselves with sober judgment, with clear thinking? Sober here means, you know, clear-headed, accurate, in touch with reality. What happens when your thinking is the opposite of sober thinking? What kind of thinking is that? That's inebriated thinking. That's when your thinking is clouded. That's when your thinking is inaccurate. That's when your thinking is astray from what's really real. Paul was warning against becoming an egoholic. No, as Christians, we are to think of ourselves soberly, accurately, in touch with reality. And that both brings us low and brings us high, right? It's all because of grace, but because of this grace, we can serve. And because of this grace, we can live for Christ. And because of grace, we can grow and change and mature and become better people. And because of grace, we've been gifted to serve. See, we're not to look at ourselves through rose-colored glasses. No, we need to change our glasses. We need to look at ourselves through grace-colored glasses. We are to see ourselves soberly, in humility. It is then that we will actually then be able to serve. Then we'll be able to grow. Then we'll be able to worship. You see, humility does not hold us back. It doesn't keep us down. It's the very thing that allows us to soar in Christ, to new heights of service for Him, to new heights of service for others. So reflect and evaluate and confront your pride. Do you have the same mindset as Paul, understanding that it's all by grace? Do you have the same attitude of humility as our Savior? Is humility one of those reigning characteristics of your life as a growing, vibrant follower of Jesus Christ? Evaluate. For it's only as we properly see ourselves in Christ that we are then poised and ready to exalt, to serve our Christ and his plans for us. Verse 3 ends saying that our thinking is supposed to align with the measure of faith that God has assigned for us. This is not talking about saving faith. It's not talking about an amount of faith. The context here is about God giving differing gifts to his people. The measure of faith that God has assigned here corresponds to what Paul started out at the beginning of verse 3, saying, by the grace given to me. And then in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace God given to us. 
The idea here is not all about God giving differing amount of faith, but God giving differing amount of gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 puts it this way, As we each received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. See, God has assigned to each of us his gift by his grace, a gift tailor-made for us, for us to live out its purposes in us to walk by faith. Being sober-minded includes recognize the gift that God has given to us and with humility and with zeal, using it for his purposes. So first we are to reflect, to evaluate our humility. Now in verses 4 through 5, we're to remember we're to remember that we are the body of Christ. The body is one of Paul's favorite illustrations for the church. Using the body illustration, verse 4 and 5 teaches us about the church. One body has many different parts, and all the different parts do different things. And even though there are many different parts, there's only one body, and each individual part is connected to and belonging to each other. It's a beautiful illustration, which Paul uses again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is... God arranged the members and the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. It's a great illustration. Simple and easy to understand. What we must remember is that God has arranged the members in his church each of them, you and me, as he chooses. And out of all the differing parts, he makes one body, one church. So please hear this. If you're a part of Poland Village Baptist Church, you're an important part. You're a necessary part. You're an essential part. You're a part that God has placed and assigned here for the health and betterment of the whole body, of the whole church. You're a part that God has placed here for the fulfilling of your service to him. Now we all enter the place of usefulness for Christ through the same total sacrifice, offering our lives as a living sacrifice. But yet, we're all equipped To fulfill that usefulness, living out that sacrificial life in uniquely distinct ways. Sacrifice and service are linked together. Sacrifice and service are inseparably glued together. One wrote this passage utterly destroys the notion that a Christian can be committed to Christ, but be inactive in his service. 
That you can love the Lord, but not obey the Lord. That you can be surrendered to the Lord, but not minister for the Lord. True worship cannot be divorced from service. We don't have two ministers at Poland Village Baptist Church. Each one of us are. All of us are called to be ministers, to be equipped by God to minister to others in his power and for his glory. Chuck Colson wrote, Many Christians have been infected with the most virulent virus of modern American life, what sociologist Robert Bela calls radical individualism. They concentrate on personal obedience to Christ as if all that matters is Jesus and me. But in doing so, miss the point altogether. For Christianity is not a solitary belief system. Any genuine resurgence of Christianity, as history demonstrates, depends on a reawakening and renewal of that which is the essence of the faith. That is, the people of God, the new society, the body of Christ, which is made manifest in the world, the church. Yes, the hope of the world is Christ, and the arms, and the legs, and the eyes, and the mouth of Christ is his body, the church. We have a great church. It's my awesome privilege to be a pastor of this great church. But just think of what new heights we could each reach and attain if we all did our assigned service by God in his body. I know in this time of COVID, this is especially hard. But it's also especially needed. Take your directory and pray. Take a page in your directory and pray for the people in your church. Pick up your phone once you have the directory in your hand and call someone and encourage them. Drop a note in the mail or text a word of encouragement. See, now, as much as ever, we need the church to be the church to the church. The sacrifice of our lives to God and the service of our lives for God are inseparably glued together. So evaluate your service to Christ. Does it match you presenting your life to Christ as a living sacrifice? There is a myriad of opportunities in our church for you to use your gifts. And new ministries can be made and new opportunities can be opened. It is hugely significant, folks, that the second great focus of Paul after teaching 11 great chapters of great theology is that service for Christ in the body of Christ is service in the church. We must not lose sight of God's calling for each of us and God's blessing that he offers to each of us as we serve him and his body. It can't be overstated. You're an important, a necessary, an essential part of the body of Christ. God has specifically gifted you. God has specifically assigned you for service to him. For the health and the betterment of the whole body. For the health and the betterment of the church. God wants you to be a living sacrifice 
for him. God wants you to be a living servant to him and for him. Is that you? Is that what you are doing? Are you serving the body of Christ? Are you fulfilling your God-ordained, assigned calling? The great baseball legend Cal Ripken Jr. said, a lot of people ask, what's your greatest play? What's your, what's your greatest accomplishment? I say, I caught the last out of the World Series. It wasn't a great catch. I didn't dive. I didn't do a cartwheel and throw the guy out at first base. People's mouths didn't drop open on my play. We all want to be a part of something bigger. We want to have our little jobs that we have to be a member of a team. Everybody has their individual responsibilities, but they all come together for a main goal. I've had great years where we haven't won, and they haven't been really fulfilling. I've had not so great years, but we've had great success as a team. And they were more fulfilling. So the most fulfilling moment I could ever have, again, was catching the last out of the World Series, knowing we did it. We have a great church. But just think of what new heights we could go if each one of us did what God has assigned us in his service, in his body. Just think of what we could do together for Christ. We are to reflect. We are to remember. And we are to respond in verses 6 through 8. Verse 6 is an awesome verse. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. I put them in big bold there so that we can read this together. Read with me. Verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. See, the point of this passage isn't just to know your gift. The point of this passage is to use your gift. Paul here lists seven different gifts. Then he lists others in 1 Corinthians 13, and then others in Ephesians chapter 4. The point of the list is obviously not to give an exhaustive list of every purpose, of every possible spiritual gift. The point is to get us to realize that God has gifted us for his service in his body and that we need to do it. I really like the way Peter talks about spiritual gifts. I think this is very helpful. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as the one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To see the simplicity here and how the simplicity of these verses can really be helpful. Do you see it? Just two main categories of which flow all the varied gifts by God's varied grace. Just two categories. Speaking gifts, serving gifts. 
So evaluate. Even now, do you have a, a gift of speaking? A speaking gift that includes teaching, that includes encouraging, includes exhorting, or includes preaching? In our day, preaching is a helpful way to understand this word prophecy that's in our passage. The first connotation we often think of when we hear this word prophecy is to think of foretelling the future. But really the first thing that should come to our mind is forthtelling God's truth. That's really what prophecy is. So really prophecy is more akin to preaching God's truth. So do you have a speaking gift? Maybe it's speaking and teaching to toddlers. A gift, I guarantee you, that your pastor does not have. Maybe it's a gift to be with teens. Maybe it's a special gift to be able to come alongside the older generation and give them words of encouragement. Maybe it's in the gift of teaching doctrine. Maybe it's the gift of words of encouragement. You just love to to go up to somebody and to spur them on in their faith. Maybe it's the gift of song and of using that as a speaking gift to the glory of Jesus Christ. Well, maybe you have the gift of service. You know, are are you kind of the the behind-the-scenes kind of person? Do you like to see things in order? Do you like to administrate things? Are you hospitable? Do you just like to invite people over or go out to eat with people? Do you like to make a, a meal and, and go and drop it off? Do you like holding that baby in the nursery? Do you like mowing the lawn or helping to clean the church? Maybe you have the gift of generosity. Maybe the Lord has gifted you financially and, and God has Put within your heart the gift of generosity to his church and to such worthy Christian charities. Maybe it just comes right out. Maybe mercy and kindness just comes right out of you. And you, just, you, you offer to give a ride to someone in need. Or, or you offer to help a shut-in with the details of their lives. We have so often made this idea of spiritual gift like a mystery game, right? Until we solve the mystery, until I know exactly, specifically what gift I have, I'm just going to sit here on the sidelines. Well, folks, the only test to find your spiritual gift is to get busy serving. Start doing what you love. God has given you that in your heart, in your love, to spur you on to service. Start serving in the area of your talents and your abilities. God has given you talents and abilities. Use them to serve Him. Start serving in areas of your burden. Maybe there's, there's some who are so burdened for different challenges in our community and within our church, and you feel that burden. That's God's call on you to serve. Don't be afraid to do something new. Don't be afraid to come up to your pastor and say, I know I've been doing this for the last X number of years, but I really think the Lord has been burdening my heart to do this. And let's have the joy of helping you find 
the great service in your heart to Christ. And do it. Do it with zeal. Do it with compassion. Do it faithfully. Do it humbly. Do it to the fullest extent of your faith. Do it with risk. And do it all for the glory of God. See, the point is, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Two categories. Evaluate. Am I a speaking gift person or am I a serving gift person? And then as you evaluate that, then start exploring. You know, get busy uh, trying out opportunities. Making new opportunities to use your gift in service of the body of Christ. Take a moment today. Take a moment to think and to write it down. Just imagine what Poland Village Baptist Church would be like if all of us just simply did what God has gifted us to do. Let's pray. Father, now we come before you so thankful for your word, so thankful for this challenge. Lord, we need to be moved. There's the joke of the frozen chosen, right? That's not us. We don't want that at all. That's not what we want. We want to be in service, in your service, in your church, in your world, organizing the church in better ways to reach the world. Lord, there's so many opportunities and possibilities. Lord, awaken our thoughts. Lord, develop within us a creativity to pursue you in creative, wonderful ways. Lord, you're the God who made all of this, all of this amazing world with such bounty and creativity. And in your church, you express that bounty and creativity through personalities and gifts talents and skills. Lord, help us give each one to you without fail, with zeal and in humility and faithfulness. Maybe even right now, God has been speaking to you and has been encouraging you to evaluate your speaking gift or a serving gift and start to write it down. Even put a place there in the, on the bulletin notes to scribble a thought. If the Lord's working on you even now, write it down. Think about it. Maybe even at home. Maybe the Lord is moving. I know with COVID and all this stuff, this is difficult. But God is calling us to do this. So, Lord, now we continue in prayer. We continue to give. Lord, we continue to offer our lives as a living sacrifice and our lives as living servants of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.